two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Beatles Revolution number 44. This is going to be special because we're going back to Liverpool. Think early days, Beatles. The man who put the beat in the Beatles. Before Ringo left Rory Storm and the Hurricanes and joined the Beatles as we knew them in 64. The man who started it with them, who went to Hamburg with them. As he said, put the beat in the Beatles. Pete Best was the original drummer. And, you know, nobody, nobody got a tougher break then imagine you're building a house, you're laying the foundation, you're doing all the work, and just before you get to move into the mansion, they go, yeah, you're out, sorry, we made a change. And there's a million reasons why it happened or didn't happen, but it just happened. And it took a while for Pete to get happy. You get kicked and thrown off the top of a mountain, it's tough. There are very, A lot of people get screwed in show business. That's a fact. You've developed a play. I know from personal, personal fact, you develop a play. You work on it. You write it. You workshop it. You're the star of it. Everybody says you're great. We have to do it with you. We have to do it with you. And like the very last step before it happens, you're out and, you know, my son-in-law is going to do it. And it happens. That's the regular way things happen. That happens Fifty percent of the time, I would guess. Honestly, it does. Whether it's movies or plays or music, it happens. But it's never happened on such a big scale than Pete Best leaving the Beatles and Ringo coming in just as they hit. The Quarrymen, the first Beatles show in Liverpool, where did it happen? Not at the Cavern. It happened in the Casbah Club which was the basement of the best house. Pete's mother, Mona, turned her basement into the first rock and roll club in Liverpool so that everybody would have a place to play and hang out. There was no sort of, there were no rock clubs anywhere. There were dance halls, there were theaters. And she was able to bring in teenagers because she wasn't serving liquor. Now, Pete's younger brother, Rogue, has been instrumental in bringing his brother out of his shell, getting him back playing music again, and he's got something very exciting going on in Liverpool this summer. We talked about it last time he was here. So on the phone with me at Q1043 is a dear friend that I just don't get to see often enough because they don't come to New York enough. They happen to be in this other city called Liverpool. Original Beatles drummer Pete Best, his brother Rogue Best, joins us at Q1043. Hi, Rogue. How are you? I'm really good, Ken. We would love to come and see you in New York City. And we came many times, many times over the years. And then Pete decided he didn't want to tour anymore. He still plays, but he cherry-picks what shows he's going to do. But to get him to go out and do a full-blown tour, it's near enough impossible. You know what? He's earned the right to make that choice. Of course he has, and what a wonderful position to be in. You know, I I phone him up and say, hey, Pete, do you fancy doing such and such? No. Hey, Pete, we've got an offer to go to Paraguay. We've never been there before. Yeah, I'll do that. We haven't been to Paraguay. Let's go and do it. You know, so what a great position to be in, to pick and choose new adventures. This is a very simple question to ask, but it has, you know, a lot of, a lot of legs, a lot of trails going down. Your brother, Pete, is he happy? Oh, Ken, he's, he's so laid back. He's a very, very happy guy. And, um, you know, people think, you know, what with what happened with Pete, the dismissal, um, yeah, of course. And, he, and he's, you know, he's, he admits that, that at the time it took the wind out of his sails. He felt very, really low. But at the time, he was a really, really young guy 
you know, on the on the threshold of hey, they knew they were going to be big. They always had faith they were going to smash the UK. They never realised that we were going to become a worldwide phenomenon. They never realised that they were going to become the the icons of the music industry. But even to be be that close and have that dream snatched away, yeah, at the time people say I was absolutely heartbroken. Pete now goes, do you know what? Wasn't it a pleasure? Wasn't it a wonderful time to be part of the biggest band in rock and roll history, even if I was only there for two years? Was Is he still amazed that the phenomenon keeps going? Here we are in 2018, and... You know, my Breakfast with the Beatles show, it's in so, there are so many different cities that have Breakfast with the Beatles shows. There are Beatles festivals here in Chicago, in L.A. The music keeps going and going and going. I always say it's like throwing a rock into a pond and somehow the ripples are perpetual motion and it never ends. Seriously, it doesn't surprise him at all. Wow. You know, and whether you be a Beatle fan or not a Beatle fan, I think everyone's got to appreciate that what those lads did over the period they were together, if you look at their back catalogue, what they churned out, it's unprecedented. It's unprecedented, you know, to have, you know, well, they they have three songwriters, but people talk about Lennon and McCartney. There was Harrison there as well. But to have those three guys in the same band, that's unheard of, unheard of. Well, maybe not unheard of. The Eagles had that sort of situation and a, and right. a few but other a, bands. Until but, those guys came along, you know, they were, they, and they kept morphing and changing. One of my favorite stories of people who came of John Lodge, who said, you know, we were the big Mancunian band, you know, we're, we're the, we were El Riot and the Rebels, and we're the big local act, and one day, it's like, what was it, 62, 63, they say, okay, lads, you're the opening act, there's a band from Liverpool that's going to be a headliner, they're like, well, get chuffed, you know, we're, get stuffed, we're, we're the band, he goes, no, no, that's how it's going to be, and he said, and we stood in the front and crossed our arms, these guys better be good, and he said, I never in my life saw anything like it. Yeah. We did a show, Rogue, a while back about the Hamburg days and what it was like. One of these days, you somehow, somewhere, you've got to bring, bring Pete, not at gunpoint, but coerce him with fine dinners to New York. Because the one thing I've never talked to your brother about is his take on Hamburg. We talked about what it was like with John. You know, he, he gave us a sort of overall view, but to go through the nitty gritty of how hard that was, how tough, working seven nights a week, doing four, five, six-hour shows, whatever it was, playing in a strip club, sleeping in a porno theater. You know, your bathroom is the urinal. And I've always said that today, I don't know of a single group that would be willing to go through that trial by fire to get through to the other side to become amazing. Yeah, I think that also boils down to that they didn't know any any difference you know, Good point. Uh, Alan Williams touched on this. Alan Williams, he said the other bands in Liverpool had been around quite some time. You're talking your Derry and the Seniors, your Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, the Big Three, and so the list goes on. He said, but the Beatles were a fledgling band thrown into that whole Hamburg situation. They were just so eager to play, you know, and Hamburg just basically 
Well, it, it, it shaped them. I'm talking with my friend Rogue Best from Liverpool, original Beatles drummer Pete Best's brother. And last time you were here, Rogue, you were talking about trying to create something in Liverpool that would give people a real personal, an up-close experience of the Beatles, the early days. In other words, the Beatles in Liverpool. What's going on? Well, I've collected, as many other people have, uh, but they most definitely haven't been in the same position as myself. I've collected Beatles memorabilia for, oh my God, I mean, you know, you you talk about my my bedroom as a kid, you know, across one wall of the bedroom, I've got the Casbah's original sign leaning against the wall. On the mantelpiece, I had the trophy off the front of the Sgt. Pepper album. You know, I was wearing John Lennon's Sgt. Pepper medals on the front to my denim jacket. The only reason I stopped wearing them, this is a 14-year-old kid with John Sergeant Pepper medals on the front of his denim jacket who catches one of the sachets on a conker tree because I'm trying to pull conkers off the tree and rip the sash so one of the medals hangs down. And when I walked into the kitchen, my mum went, you've damaged the medals. And I went, oh, it's okay. It's get caught on a tree. I'll, I'll, I'll stitch it back. And she went, no. She went, you'll take it off and you won't wear it on the denim jacket anymore. All these things were just lying around, you know. So Nobody start, really had a sense, even even by Sergeant Pepper's days, of like, hey, all of this has to be saved for posterity. Every single thing counts. Well, our mother was a hoarder. Not as a hoarder in, you watch hoarders. Oh, my God. Right. That? She just kept things of interest. So to put that into into uh, perspective, when she decided she was going to open the Casbah Coffee Club for a one-off, obviously I opened it years later as a tourist attraction, and she opened it up as a as a one-off, and we had to clear the Casbah out. So we're all there working, and there's this big gilt mirror right across the corner of one of the rooms, and I think I can pull that out on my own. So I start pulling that, but the mirror starts to warp. So I think, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the, the wood's going to snap, the, the mirror's going to break. So I shout to my brother Rory, I said, give me a hand getting this mirror out. He goes, okay. He grabs one end. I, and I'm talking about the, a huge thing, because Heyman's Green is a big Victorian mansion. So, um, so he grabs one side, I pull the other side, and we pull it forward. And behind that is Pete's Premier Drum Kit, um, Paul's Vox Beaker and, uh, and a Vox Amp, uh, a load of microphones, uh, stands, uh, George's uh, Futurama Grazio guitar. Uh, I know this now. And I said to, I looked, at, I looked at Rory and I said, "Who's is all this equipment behind here?" And he looks and goes, "Oh, it's all Beatles stuff left at the house. It's all Beatles stuff that was left at the house, you know, And it was just shoved behind the mirror." in our basements. That seems impossible. It's like a treasure that's been left behind. And by the way, for those who, who don't know, and you're not supposed to, this isn't like an egalitarian Beatles show. When we talk about the Casbah Club, basically, Rogue's mom, Mona, mm-hmm. back in the days, didn't want the boys running all over town trying to play some music, and turned your basement into a little club. She basically watched a program called The 6-5 Special, and it was doing a special on the Two Eyes Coffee Bar in London. And she spoke to Johnny Best, Pete and Rory's father, and asked them, was there anything like that in Liverpool? He said there wasn't. She said they should do it. He said no. She did it anyway. 
it was an instant success because what she hadn't taken into consideration, and why would she? She'd actually opened the first rock and roll club in the city. It took off. It was it was like a meteorite, that club. It just boomed from the word go. And of course, who plays on the opening night but John, Paul and George with a guy called Ken Brown, a reformed quarry man, which morphed into the Silver Beetles, which morphed into the Beatles. And again, what year is this, Rogue? Um, quarry men, 19, 29th of August, 1959. And their first show in the UK, their first show in Liverpool, was on the 17th of December, 1960, as the Beatles, and that was at the Casbar Coffee Club. And it's a coffee club, remember, so your mom's not serving any alcohol, so teens can come in, and it's fairly safe, and all's good. Yeah, you can have a coffee, you can have a Coke, you can have a Fancy, you can have a packet of crisps, you can have some peanuts. And by the way, guys, when you go to Liverpool, for all my Beatles fans, you know, my dear friend Jackie Spencer, who I, I love, who does tours, you know, you can check, and Rogue, correct me if I'm wrong, but people can come to your home, you've never sold the house, you've never changed it. And that you, if the timing is right, you can come into the Casbah. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're now a tourist attraction. In fact, <laughs> we're Liverpool's number one Beatles attraction. We have been for quite some years now. Okay, Rogue, let's talk numbers. Cold hard pounds. Over the years, how much money has your family been offered to sell that house? Um, I won't say how much we've been offered for the house because it's obscene. Um, right. But I'll, I'll tell you one item where um, basically we had a gentleman over at the cast bar, and at the end of it, he said to me, it's a, re- it's, it's a shame that you still haven't got the original cast bar sign. I said, we have. It's in storage. And he said, can I make you an offer? And this was 10 years ago. And I said, well, it's not for sale, but I'm interested in your offer. He said, I'll give you 500000 for it. That's a real number. That's a life-changing number. Yeah. You wouldn't sell and, it. Um, you wouldn't sell I it. said, no. I said no. Rogue, not even a consideration? <laughs> not not a consideration. I said wow. no, it can't be replaced. I want to keep it. And that's why, Ken, next time you see me, if you look at the back of my head, you can see my wife's handprint <laughs> right across the back of my head. It's just there, dinted, dinted there. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. When I told her, man, when I told her, she looked at me and she said, what the hell are you thinking? And I went, you know what? I just can't let it go. But what that led to, Ken, was at some point I went, I've got so much stuff, stuff that had been left to me by my mother, stuff that had been given to me by my brother, stuff that had been given to me by my father, Neil Aspinall, and then stuff I'd collected over 30 years. And I looked at it and thought, what are you going to do with this? You know, and I thought, do you know what? I'm I'm going to do a Beatles museum. And the whole crux of that was finding the right premises. And I got close, and I got close, and I lost heart. And I got close. Three attempts where I got really, really close. And then last year, last year, the beginning of 2017, I'm walking through the city centre, I'm really disheartened. I go to get in my car and I hear, hi, Rogue. And I turn around. It's one of the guys. I haven't seen him for years. And he goes, whoa. He said, what's up? He said, you look really down. I said, do you know what, Paddy? I said, I've been chasing this dream for 10 years. 
I said, I've realised today it's not going to happen. I said, I wanted a building on Matthew Street. I said, it's prime real estate and there's absolutely nothing left. Yeah, and he said, why, what were you going to do? I said, I was going to do a Beatles museum. And he said to me, strange you should say that. I had a phone call 15 minutes ago off a guy asking if I wanted to buy his building. I said, all right. I said, where's his building? He said, it's a five-floor building in the middle of Matthew Street. This guy, he's 82 years old. He bought it back in the 60s. He doesn't want it anymore. He wants to call it a day. And he's told a friend of mine. He hasn't told anybody else. And this friend tells me, I go, oh, my God, who else knows? He says, nobody. I said, can you phone him now and arrange a meeting for tomorrow morning? So we did it there and then while we're standing in this car park. I met the the gentleman the following day at 10 o'clock. He told me what he wanted for the building. I said, I'll give you it. We shook hands. I said, so you're not going to put it up for sale? He said, no. He was old school. He said, "I've I've just shook your hand. He said, I won't let you down. He said, and he looks at me. Don't forget, he's 82 years old. Yeah. And says, and I don't expect you to let me down, young man. And I said, I won't let you down. And basically, we bought the building on the 4th of November. We ripped it out. And we've converted it into the Magical History Museum. The Magical History Museum. I love it. The Magical History Museum, a Fab Four experience. And it's going to take you right through their story, but every part of the story has a different item of Beatles memorabilia. And we open on Friday, the 20th of July. And if you're a Beatles fan, if you're not a Beatles fan, it's going to blow your mind. Congratulations. I know this was a dream of yours for so long. It's wonderful when friends' dreams come true and things work out. It's weird that when it comes to that magic word, Beatles, when things are supposed to happen, somehow they happen. It's wild. Mm-hmm. The original Casbah sign, I assume, will be there? Original Casbah sign, as I said, George's Futurama Grazio guitar, which he played on My Bonnie and played on Cry for a Shadow, and that Polydor session stuff out in Germany, um, one of John's harmonicas, 1966. We, we've got posters, we've got flyers, we've got instruments, we've got clothes, we've got... It's all there. It's all there. People are going to gonna love it. And also what we did, Ken, I took my business partners around and I took them to five, six museums, music museums. Right. And I've done all, I've done all the ones all over the all over the world. Every time we get to a city that's got a, a, a you know a rock and roll museum or a soul museum, I've done the Stax Museum. I've done this. I've done that. I've done um, Graceland's, of course. All the, and basically, I walked them around the ones that we were accessible to in the UK. And then we all we all sat down. And one of the guys said to me, so is that how we're doing it? And I said, no, I took you around those museums to show you how we're not going to do it. Uh. You know, I said, we're not going to do it like anybody else has done it. And that's pretty much what we've done. You know, um, Every floor is a different experience. Every floor you walk on is a different experience. You walk onto each floor you think you were visiting a different museum. The thing that stays consistent is Beatles through it. I love it. It's a brilliant idea. You know what's weird to me? Matthew Street, uh, the, for those who have never been there, that's where 
uh, the Cavern Club was. That's where, you know, the uh, cellar full of noise where everything started, where somebody goes into Brian Epstein's music shop and says, you should go down to the Cavern and see these guys. That's it, yeah. For so long, in the 70s, I mean, this is the 70s, in the 80s, Matthew Street seemed run down, it was cold, it wasn't friendly. For so long, Rogan, correct me if I'm wrong, it didn't get any sense of like tourist Beatles joy. There was no giant sense of this is the home of the lads. This is where they are. This is where they are. It just seemed like it was, I thought to myself in Matthew Street, I don't want to be here after dark. Yeah, it was It was run down. Um, there was lots of empty lots. There was, I think, two two public houses, two pubs. Um, it, it was, you know, like worn out, tired. And, um, you know, if if you'd taken, a, as you mentioned, Ken, if you'd have taken a photograph of Matthew Street in the 1970s and then put it next to a photograph of Matthew Street in the present day, well, it's like, it's like chalk and cheese. Matthew Street now is like, I don't know, it's like walking down Bourbon Street or... <laughs> um, or Oh, yeah, 42nd Street. That, By the way, yeah. I have that exact yeah. picture of my wife and her friend in my living room, of them as kids scared to death and from last year, and it's exactly what you say. Yeah, yeah. It's booming. It's booming. Day and night, you can't move in that street. Yeah, Somewhere between move. America, where if somebody has a song on the radio for five weeks, we give them a star in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, to Britain and Liverpool, where it takes 40 years for someone to say, hey, should we make this a tourist place about the Beatles? There's got to be a happy medium somewhere in between there. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope so. I hope so. It, 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 took a while, it took a while for Liverpool, and it sounds insane, but it took a while for Liverpool to wake up and go, hey, this is actually something really, really special. But it's that thing, Ken. Is it the tall poppy syndrome? Well, it's it's that thing of when it's on your doorstep. Sometimes you just don't recognize for what it is. What it is, you just don't recognize it. You're you're too close to the subject matter, and I think that's what happened with Liverpool. They were so close to the subject matter, the penny didn't drop for a very very long time. I mean, as I've always said, I, maybe by 1970 and they ended it, and you go, well, that was fun. By by 1980, and it hasn't stopped at all, nobody said, hey, why don't we build a hard day's night hotel? Why don't we give tours? Why don't we make this about the Beatles? I mean, the shipyards aren't making a lot of money. Let This town is the Beatles. Let's make it the Beatles that it took so long is absolutely remarkable to me. As I mentioned before, my friend Jackie Spencer does Beatle tours around Liverpool, and she said more than once, fairly regularly, she might be taking somebody by Penny Lane or down Matthew Street, and an older person might say to the group that she's with, what's it coming around here for? They don't live here no more. Well, I don't know yeah, what to I, say to that. <laughs> I just, I don't. I don't. You know, that's more... You know, that's more Liverpool people. Be, you know, people talk about how how sarcastic the Beatles was, the Beatles' Liverpool sense of humour. That's just Liverpool's sense of, sense of humour. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Listen, yeah. you know I'm good friends with Billy J. Kramer. Why Spending time with him makes me feel like I get exactly all of it. I remember when he, he met your brother. You know, I hadn't seen him in years. We were at the cutting room. 
And he said, I haven't seen him in years, haven't seen him for years. And, and they walk in, and your brother Pete gets up and says, hey, Billy. And Billy said, hey, Pete, how's things? Good? You? Good? And they just stared at each other. And I exploded laughing because it wasn't, oh, you could cut the tension with a knife where there were things left unsaid. That was it. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. That's you it. okay? Yeah, fine. What good. About you? We're yeah, done. Good. <laughs> and it, afterwards, I remember haranguing Billy like, there had to be something to ask him. Did you ever see Ronnie? What happened to the movie? There had to be something to say to him. He goes, no, he looked good. I'm like, yeah, but yeah. there just has to be something else. It's been 30 years. There's got to be something. Yeah, I'm sure there was, Bob. You, you were there with me. It. You were standing right there with me. I still remember it going, there yeah. has to be longer than this. <laughs> yeah, but it's that thing. It's the Liverpool thing. My, my wife the other day, there's myself, my wife, one of my friends. We go around to my other friend's house because this friend hasn't seen him in like 10 years. He opens the front door <laughs> and he goes, Hiya, Gary. And Gary goes, wow, you've got really fat. And he starts, <laughs> la- he starts laughing and says, hey, I've lost two stone. And Gary goes, you, know, you mean you were fatter? <laughs> and, my, and, and my wife's standing there going, oh, my God. She said women would just not speak to each other like that. No, no, no. You know, she said, you two are laughing, he's laughing, nobody's offended by the conversation. You know, and I went, well, why would they be offended? He, he has got fat. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Hey, he's fat. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. I love watching Paul Hollywood, the chef on British Bake Off, who is from the Wirral, he's from Liverpool, and he told this story. You know, his father was a baker, and he would help out. He's the apprentice. He's 14 years old, and the baker doesn't show up at five in the morning, six thirty, he rolls in drunk and passes out. And Paul bakes all the rolls himself. And his father comes in at seven to open the shop. He says, dad, you know, Baker's drunk. I made 400 rolls. And his father comes in, picks up one and says, this one's burnt and opens the front door and turns the lights on. And that sounds like the worst thing in the world, unless you know people from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Rogue, you're opening the Magical History Museum right on Matthew Street where the Cavern Club is, the heart of Liverpool. If we're planning a trip to Liverpool, how do we find out more about it? Do we have to reserve tickets? How will it work? Magical History Museum. Our website not is not up yet, but our Facebook is. So they, if you want to check us out, the Magical History Museum, look for our Facebook. All the coming news, what's happening, is going to be there. Our website's under construction at the moment. That's following very, very soon. But if you want to get with what's happening right now, check out the Magical History Museum Facebook. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that that finally came true for you. So you're running this. This is consuming your life. You're a fine musician on your own. What's going on with you? Are you doing any music? Um, I'm basically doing the the odd thing with Pete when he rolls out. And then uh, as of about a year ago, because uh, I was getting really twitchy, you know, and then um, I said, OK, I'm going to start playing for other people again, you know, uh, which I've started doing. I've started doing standing gigs, et cetera, et cetera, you know, so... Um, yeah, and that, and that that's going well because I I spent a lot of time learning learning my craft and uh, 
I think when all's said and done, what do I like doing the most? I I love drumming. You know, you're talking about a guy that, you know, I started when I was about twelve, thirteen years old, uh, and my and I, I mean I I mean I was nuts about it. I still love it. But you're talking about a kid that would spend Saturday and Sunday playing for five, six hours. He'd roll in from school on a Monday. I'd go and lift weights for an hour so that my arms would be so tired by the time I got on the drum kit that it'd be harder to play, you know, and all that stuff eventually paid off. You know, I'm very blessed, and my drumming got to take me all around the world. You know, I've seen some wonderful things. I I say this to people many times, Ken. I love traveling, and I love music, and I'm very blessed because my music enabled me to travel, and on top of that, hey, People paid me to do it. <laughs> Rogue Best, the Magical History Museum, opening in Liverpool in July. We'll find it on Facebook. One last request. Please find some time for you and your brother Pete to come back and visit us in New York soon. We'd love to. We'd love to, Ken. And thanks very much for having us on the show. Really appreciate it. You know, the door is always open here. Your brother, the man who put the beat in the Beatles, and that is absolutely true. Please give him all my love from me and all of the Beatle fans here in New York. Okay, take care, 